If you enjoy listening to this podcast, we ask you to consider supporting it by making a one-time or reoccurring donation. Visit Mayflower's website at www.mayflowerucc.org and click on the Donate tab in the menu. Donations made to Mayflower's Communications Fund are tax-deductible and help ensure that this podcast is available. Thank you for your support. The sermon you are about to hear was preached at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church in Oklahoma City by the Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie, senior minister at one of America's premier liberal Protestant pulpits. At Mayflower, we are an open and affirming peace and justice church where we believe religion should be biblically responsible, intellectually honest, emotionally satisfying, and socially significant. We go now to the pulpit of Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City and to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie. Good morning. Welcome from Mayflower Congregational United Church of Christ where no matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. Will you bow your heads with me? We've got good news, Holy One. KGOU reported that we are a top 10 state in something worth celebrating. Oklahoma is tied for first in the nation for number of lesbian bars. Only New York has as many as we do. What? (laughs) Relatedly, we may have also discovered why this country has been on its way to hell in a handbasket. You see, Holy One, there used to be several hundred lesbian bars across the United States just a few decades back, but now, now there are fewer than 30. We're not convinced it's a coincidence, and we know that correlation is not causation, but it is interesting to consider. Lesbian bars are spaces that cultivate open, safe, and inclusive community, spaces that challenge sexism, gender roles, and patriarchy, and prioritize the marginalized. No wonder we're worse off with fewer of them. We lament that the same could not be said so certainly of the church. We have been in decline too, but we don't have the same reputation as lesbian bars. Not everyone associates the church with love, care, and justice. Remind us, Holy One, that every time we take communion, We eat and drink at a table where all are welcome, all are included, all are loved, as it is in heaven and in lesbian bars. Let it be so in the church. We pray in the name of Jesus, who said they will know us by our love. Amen. 
Our reading this morning comes from the 12th chapter of Genesis, verses 1 through 4. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Here ends the reading from our tradition. May God grant to us wisdom and courage for interpretation. We enter this story just as God strikes up a conversation with Abram, whose name, to our hearts and minds, seems to be missing a few letters. But Abram doesn't become Abraham, like Sarai doesn't become Sarah, until the 17th chapter of Genesis. This story, which is not an unfamiliar one to many of us, is about a journey in part a literal one, certainly. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country, go from your kindred, go from your father's house to the land that I will show you. God asks Abram to leave everything, land and family, for a new place. And what is so wild to many of us is that Abram does it and seems as if it's like, just like that. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, like there's not even a verse in between. I I, I don't mean to whine, but I, I feel like the text leaves out some other really important conversations. Like the one Abram had to have had with Sarai in order to make this happen. The text is silent on the matter, But just because the conversation wasn't recorded doesn't mean there wasn't one. Despite the patriarchal, patrilocal, and patrilineal traditions of the time that would maybe have us assume that Abram just decided for his whole family, what we know of Abram and Sarah in the other stories doesn't seem to suggest that that was just the way it was for the family. These two have been together for a long time. Abram is 75 years old, and at this point, they have been through some things, the two of them. I think I am not the only one who wants to know exactly how Abram presented this idea of leaving everything, leaving everyone for a new place, when everything about their lives at that point might have been described as, everything has a place, and everything is in its place. But we can fill in the blanks here. Um, I hope that you agree that there is a strong link between country music and the Bible. Uh, Both share themes of faithfulness and unfaithfulness, family dysfunction, and the power of love. So it is that I believe we might consider lyrics from singer-songwriter Casey Musgraves as we imagine how Abram went to his beloved wife, Sarai, told her about the contents 
of God's call and perhaps mustering all of his enthusiasm made his pitch this way. Who needs a house up on a hill when you can have one on four wheels and take it anywhere the wind might blow? You don't ever have to mow the yard. Just hang a map and throw a dart and pray to God the engine starts and goes. And how might have Sarah responded to this? Well, the other stories we have about Sarai tell us that she repeatedly does the absolute most to support Abram and his dreams, even at great risk to herself, regardless of the sacrifices she is asked to make. So it stands to reason that Sarai responded with something like, water and electric, a place to drain the septic, and the KOA is a-okay as long as I'm with you. I really do think that's how it went. And then there's the conversation with Abram's nephew, Lot, who is a significant character in the story. We, we don't hear that conversation either, but apparently Lot was so happy to hit the road with his aunt and uncle that the text lists it twice. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. And then half a sentence later, the next verse, Abram took his wife Sarai and his brother's son Lot. The reason behind Lot's eagerness to go with Abram and Sarai seemed completely obvious to me, although maybe it's only so obvious to other panks and punks who hear this story. Panks, professional aunt, no kids, and punks. Professional uncle, no kids. This is, of course, true of Abram and Sarai. They had no children of their own. We learn that in Genesis 11. And those of us who hold the title of pank or punk often have a particular and close bond with our nibblings. That's the non-binary word for nephews and nieces. We get to be the bonus trusted adults in their lives, able to invest, affirm, and delight in them in ways that are just a little different than adults with their own children often can. It's not better and it's not worse, it's, it's just different. So it makes absolute sense to the panks and punks hearing this story that the nephew is thrilled to go on an extended trip with his child-free uncle and aunt. Some of you may be thinking that this is a weird flex for a sermon. <laughs> but there are very, very few opportunities to publicly affirm those who have not taken, either by choice or by circumstance, the strongly suggested path of parenthood. Those of us who do not have children by choice are often shamed for it pressured to make different choices to please others, and accused of being selfish and of hating children. It's hurtful, and it is exhausting for those for whom being child-free is not a choice, but a circumstance. Understand that it is a unique grief and an isolating pain. We really do need to be more gentle with each other. 
And in case no one has ever said this to you, no one owes you an explanation as to why they do not have children. This is also an opportunity to note that when scripture tells us that Abram and Sarai had no children, there is no reflection on the cause. There is no suggestion of punishment or curse. It is simply reported that this family does not have children. Sarai is not said to be sad or distraught about this, and neither is Abram. This is not true of every child-free couple in the Bible. There are plenty of times in the text where infertility is the cause of great suffering, just as it is today. The Bible uses the metaphor of childlessness and infertility quite a bit. And just like the problematic use of disability metaphors in the New Testament, deaf, blind, lame, we find the problematic use of infertility metaphors in the Hebrew Bible. It is used to represent the various times in the life of the people of Israel when there seemed to be no way forward which was appropriate in that particular socio-historical context when having as many children as possible was the primary way to survive as a people. That there is an explanation for using the infertility metaphor does not mean that we can't or shouldn't be mindful that it is still problematic. Infertility is a significant part of the storyline at this point in the text because at this particular moment, God seems to be without a people. The consequential stories between the Garden of Eden and this one include Noah and the Flood and the Tower of Babel, which is to say that on the whole, things had not been going very smoothly for humanity. Death and violence are the major themes at this point. We're kind of circling the drain and this sacred storybook of ours takes a hard turn to right the ship. Genesis 12 is the point at which the narrative changes course, and perhaps why the conversations between Abraham, Abram and Sarai and Abram and Lot are not recorded. For what we do have, that conversation may arguably be the most important conversation in the whole of scripture. I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. It is easy to see, miss how radical God is being here, but when God says to Abram, I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing, God is being absolutely woke. In his book, What is the Bible?, author and theologian Rob Bell explains, in the ancient Near East, your tribe was your family, your bloodline, your home, your identity, your tribe was everything, and everyone belonged to a tribe. You worked for the well-being of your tribe, as did everyone else in the tribe. You accumulated possessions, fought battles, made alliances, all in the name of tribal preservation. And if you did something unacceptable, something shameful, it reflected poorly on your tribe. According to the story in Genesis 12, God calls Abram to be the leader of a new tribe. 
Abram has promised that all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Tribes, though, at that time existed for their own well-being and preservation. But this tribe, the one that Abram would lead, would be different. This tribe would exist to bless all the other tribes? Tribes had gods and goddesses, forces that they followed and worshipped, who they believed, protected, and guided them. So you went, when you went into battle against another tribe, usually for land or access to resources or wealth, you were going to do battle with them. But at the same time, your god was confronting their god. And when you won, you wiped them out and took all their stuff. Why? Because... What if you left some of the men alive and then later they banded together? Maybe the son of the king you killed was their leader and they came to get their revenge. You couldn't risk it. Or maybe you killed the men but took the women for yourselves and the donkeys and whatever else you wanted. Those were the spoils of war. There were rules about how this worked because tribes had been doing it for a long time. Brutal? Yes. Violent? Yes. Barbaric, yes. Your tribal identity wasn't just about your bloodline and your gods. It was also about safety. The world was extremely dangerous, and without the protection of a tribe, you could easily find yourself enslaved, or worse, by another tribe. This was not like picking a political party or religious affiliation in our world. In that world, at that time, your survival was at stake. When we read those Old Testament stories about so-and-so accumulating so many fighting men and a certain number of swords or horses or camels or making an alliance with King so-and-so, it wasn't a hobby. This was life or death, kill or be killed. And no matter how many battles you'd fought and won, you were always one battle away from the enemy crushing you and wiping out your entire tribe or killing some of you and taking the rest back to be assimilated. And it's in this world, at this time, that we read the story of a man called to be the father of a new nation, a new tribe, one that would exist not just for its own self-preservation, but for a much higher purpose, to bless all the other tribes. This is the story of Abram's tribe, also called Israel. Can you see how radical this idea was. Can you see how this idea would have taken a while to catch on? Can you see how difficult it would have been to make this kind of leap in a culture in which tribal affiliation and preservation were the highest values? And I mean, it's so difficult a leap that we are still trying to make it, still trying to get away from insisting that affiliation and preservation are our highest values instead of mutual aid and love. But God asks us to walk away from how we've been taught to take sides, to take no prisoners, to insist on being right to do only for ourselves and let others pull themselves up by their bootstraps. Can you see this in your own life? Can you see this in our communal life with family, with friends, with strangers? 
So for our Lenten work this week, let us follow Abram and Sarai and Lot. And let us begin again. Let us replace our to-do list with just one task. Be a blessing. And this might include, but is not limited to, checking on your neighbor, calling that person you haven't seen in a while, sending a note of encouragement, providing a casserole, or serving on the next 363 Saturday, signing up for rebuilding together, holding the door open, providing snacks for a classroom teacher, advocating for equality and access to healthcare, working for peace in our homes, in our communities, in our world. Remember that at no point did God withdraw that original blessing given to us in the garden. And more than that, God has been consistently reminding us, consistently prodding us about this blessing ever since. Be a blessing. We really do know how to do this, friends. So let's get after it. You've been listening to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie, Senior Minister at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church in Oklahoma City. More information about the church can be found at www.mayflowerucc.org or by visiting Mayflower's Facebook page. Worship services are every Sunday at 10 a.m. with Sunday school classes for all ages at 9 a.m. Mayflower is located on Northwest 63rd Street in Oklahoma City, one block west of Portland. Thank you for listening.